Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Andy Allen, who is the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. Uh, Andy has been with us a number of times through the years to talk about uh, retailing because almost everyone in North Carolina uh, uh, end up being consumers at one point in time. And so they deal with retailers. And this is the association that represents uh, how many members, uh, uh, Andy? Uh, it's about 2,500 members that represent about 25,000 store locations physically in the state of North Carolina. That's that's a that's a huge number, and uh, it represents about uh, I think I think you told me one time about 75 percent of all of North Carolina's retail sales volume. That's correct, and, and the retail industry as a whole represents about one out of every four jobs we have in North Carolina uh, in, in the workforce. Well, it's a it's a certainly a big part of our economy, and it's one. And we would be remiss if we didn't start off by talking about COVID nineteen. I guess about a year ago, all of us were uh, probably expecting uh, a lot worse than what actually turned out. Uh, it was bad enough as it was, but uh, uh, things actually uh, could have been worse. They absolutely could have. And I think, you know, we as a society did a really good job of navigating through that. And, and the retail industry did an amazing job. Um, I, I say our, our retailers were sort of in two buckets. There was the bucket of the grocery stores and the home improvement stores and the, the mass merchants and, that were never closed and, and the pharmacies as well. Uh, and they did well and they provided what a lot of people deemed to be essential goods, although I deemed all job creators as, as essential. But then there were the other retailers who were forced to shut down some of them for you know over 40 days. Uh, that maybe sold clothing or they sold uh, books or, or other items that, you know, had been deemed by the government not to be essential. And, and I sort of called that discretionary retail versus instead of essential, because as I said, everybody's essential. And they had a much more difficult time. Um, but they did. They were very uh, innovative and they, they started things that they may have never envisioned. And they were probably 10 years ahead of their time with curbside pickup and uh, FaceTime live or Facebook live events to show off their merchandise. And, and some of them delivered themselves to people's homes and they improved their websites and they sold their way out of it. And, uh, and that was what was really good for, for the economy and keeping work on a move. Well, and, and I think we, first of all, ought to take our ha uh, hats off to, especially the, those who were selling products that we had to have like uh, grocery stores and pharmacies and such, uh, because, uh, uh, actually, you know, I, I continue to shop and, uh, and of course we had the little signs and we had the uh, decals on the floor and everyone was wearing masks. And I tend to believe that may have been one of the safer places to be during the COVID-19. It, it, it absolutely was. You know, we did high, a lot more cleaning than we ever had and they closed down earlier so they could clean overnight and they stocked the shelves overnight instead of during the day. And, and people were very respectful of each other and they got into the store and out of the store as fast as they could. But as you mentioned, whether it was the floor decals or the plexiglass that was up, uh, we did a really great job. And uh, with that and, and the grocery stores, you know, some people who, who are used to having 15 different varieties of toilet paper had to take what was on the shelf. Or if you're wanting the organic free range chicken, you may have had to settle for, you know, a whole chicken instead of the chicken breast that you wanted. But but we as, an, as a society, we adapted and made it through it. And as you said, it, was, it could have been a lot worse back in March of 2020 than we ended up. Yeah, we had a couple of runs on things like toilet papers and paper goods, but the, the truth of the matter is the food supply 
uh, chain uh, remained very strong. And I don't think anybody that I know of panicked and went to the grocery store and just bought everything they could. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm not quite sure what was all involved in the toilet paper shortage, but uh, that was that was the one that I guess everybody noticed more than anything else. Uh, because, you know, quite frankly, we were all probably using the same amount of toilet paper. No, you're exactly right. And I, and I think some of it, again, we were innovative and we had some partners that we may not have had in the supply chain. And I use the example, uh, we partnered with the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association because they had, we needed truck drivers at all hours of the night to get things to those grocery stores. And we partnered with some of those wholesalers to let them lend us drivers and trucks for some of the distribution centers to get those products from the distribution center to the store level. And so we went to had to go before the ABC commission and get an exemption to do that because of some, some laws dealing with alcohol. But, you know, that was a way that we tried to be innovative and partner as different industries to help each other out. And that was, I think a lot about COVID was helping your fellow person out. The other thing I think, and this is a, a tribute to all of the things that you've already talked about is that the North, the state of North Carolina, uh, which depends so much on sales tax for its revenue base was surprised. I think we were all expecting that the budget was going to be thin this year, but actually uh, the uh, sales tax held up very nicely. And so the state of North Carolina uh, is in great shape for the General Assembly this year. We have a lot of federal aid coming in on top of that. So uh, as far as getting things done, as far as state services, we're going to be in good shape. And, and, and that's a very good point, Don. I think our state sales tax this year were, was up 8.2% over the budgeted amount. And a key part of that was in 2019, uh, the General Assembly passed legislation that followed the federal U.S. Supreme Court case in Wayfair that required the collection of online, on sales tax on online transactions. And so for everybody that was sitting at their house uh, shopping online, we were collecting sales tax on it. And you look at a state like North Carolina that did that, we're in great financial shape, as you mentioned. But if you look at a state like Florida, which didn't have that same law, and was very dependent on sales tax and very dependent on tourism and nobody was traveling, they're in financial straits at the moment. And so uh, the foresight of the General Assembly in a bipartisan way really helped get us through as a state through that, the, what could have been very challenging financial times. And uh, people had more time on their hands. And so home improvement product, uh, projects, for example, uh, and the home improvement stores like Home Depot and Lowe's and Ace and uh, True Value Hardwares, they all did quite well. Yeah, I think you and I and Jason all probably had many honey-do lists that we had to do. And, and that sent you to those home improvement stores. And whether that was planting flowers or working in your yard or painting inside your house, it gave us something to do. And, and luckily those retailers were open and able to service and, and give us the products that we needed to do that. Of course, a number of categories did suffer, as you mentioned. And, and uh, but basically uh, as things stand right now, uh, there is a loosening of restrictions and uh, uh, things are beginning to get back to normal. And of course, with the direct aid from the uh, federal government, uh, the consumer in most cases, uh, have plenty of, uh, have good resources, a lot of savings. Now, those who lost their jobs, of course, that is an entirely different situation. Uh, and many businesses, uh, especially in the hospitality area, restaurants and so forth, suffered greatly. And we don't want to overlook that. But uh, as a whole, again, 
again, if we go back to last March, I, I think we were all sort of shaking in our boots thinking of what could happen. And uh, I think perhaps we were wise enough to know all of it wasn't going to happen. But it, nonetheless, it was pretty scary. It was very scary. And, and, you know, I think there, as you said, there's things opening up and renewed sense for optimism. Uh, you know, there were numbers that came out today that said that, you know, the March sales were up 9.8% on February um, on the retail sales, which are very good. And, and, and most importantly, and I mentioned one of the ones that was really, really hurt badly was clothing sales because people weren't dressing up. They weren't going to weddings and funerals and proms or, you know, out to eat. And so they weren't buying new clothes a lot of times. And, you know, the clothing and accessories were up 18.3% from month to month, uh, March over February, and 104% over last year. So that shows about how much people bought in clothing last year versus what they are buying right now today. So that's a really good shot in the arm for uh, your men's and women's boutiques and your department stores, uh, whether they be a Belks or a Macy's or a Kohl's. Uh, or a shoe store. Th those folks really needed, like I said, a good shot in the arm. What about the bridal market? Because a lot of weddings, uh, of course, were uh, put on hold in many cases, or, or certainly the celebration of the wedding was restricted to uh, a, a smaller group, both the service itself and also any reception. What about the wedding industry? Is that returning? It's starting to return. Uh, you know, when you take out the weddings, you also take out the caterer and the florist and, you know, the, the musician that played at the wedding. I was talking to a men's clothing store this week and he said, you know, they are selling a tremendous amount of tuxedos or renting a tremendous amount of tuxedos and selling a number of suits for weddings and, and where they were doing one or two, you know, here and there, you know, he had sold 15 in the last month, you know, for the next couple of weeks. And so that again is, 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 it's really good for that whole group of, of people that feed off of, you know, as you mentioned, a wedding industry. And that also included the event, the event uh, location, which was also shut down and the employees that work there too. Did sales tax change very much by a community? In other words, uh, a community like Raleigh or a, a metropolitan area usually enjoys a lot of people coming in to shop from the surrounding area. Did more people shop at home uh, and does that show up in the tax base or did they continue their usual practice of going out to shop? I, I think it was a combination of, of, of both. But then you also have areas like I know, uh, for instance, the, the sales tax in Wilmington suffered for a little bit in March and April because their restrictions were more, more stringent than the state restrictions. You were able to be open, but you were, for instance, at, at a... Um, let's say a Walmart, you were able to be open, but you weren't allowed to sell quote unquote non-essential goods. So you couldn't sell clothing at that Walmart. You had to rope it off uh, or Easter candy or, or other things. And so um, they were open selling certain goods, but not others. And I think that pulled back on some things, which may also have meant people were buying online rather than, or driving somewhere else to buy the, those goods. Now we've got the, I'm sure we have now the Christmas data in. How did Christmas compare? Uh, with Christmas of uh, 2019? Well, Christmas this year was was a much more elongated holiday, whereas, you know, we we were so used to starting on Black Friday right after Thanksgiving. This year you saw, you know, the, the holiday specials start in the beginning to middle of, of November and run all the way through the end of the year with many retailers, you know, honoring their specials throughout that whole time. 
and and they were very cognizant about trying to keep customers safe because they didn't want people lined up around the building or rushing into the store to buy that flat screen TV the Friday after Thanksgiving. And so it was, again, our top priority through this whole COVID piece has been to keep our customers and our employees safe. And we were trying to do that through the holidays. But I think we had a really good holiday season. People had, as you mentioned, stimulus money and they had, you know, um, they were getting back to work and things were starting to open. I think we had a really good holiday season from everything that we've heard. Well, it, it certainly uh, changed a lot of habits and some of these habits. And we're going to talk about this and in, in, uh, other segments of this very program today uh, about what we've learned about Zooming and shopping and uh, uh, delivery, home delivery and so forth and how much of that will become a part of the way that we exist and how much uh, will be changed. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to your uh, thoughts and opinions on that. As I mentioned, I think the retail industry fast forwarded 10 years in in 12 months time. And and we learned a great deal. And the things that were successful, I think you'll see those continue. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Things that didn't work successful, you'll see people abandon pretty quickly though. Well, our guest is Andy Allen. He is the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. And we'll be back with one uh, an additional segment here right after these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Andy Allen, who is the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. Uh, Andy gave us a little background when we began the program on the association, but uh, let's let's review again uh, the background of the association. By the way, when did when was the association founded? When did so it was founded in 1902, so we're a hundred and. Uh, 19 years old at the moment, and, uh, which we've had a, a really good run since then and, and have been, been lucky, lucky to, uh, to, to be that well-established and continue to represent the industry uh, every single day. I guess that was back in the days of William Henry Belk and Ivy's and uh, some of these uh, great old merchants, I say old merchants, old-time merchants that uh, sort of led the way in North Carolina. And North Carolina, of course, is, uh, has grown and changed in many, many ways. Uh, one of which are the the uh, 
employers. I mean, you know, for years we were dependent on textiles and furniture manufacturing and uh, tobacco manufacturing. And now we've got a whole new economy, a much stronger economy. And uh, uh, that certainly has uh, been a benefit to the Retail Merchants Association uh, and all of its members. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we started our association to, to let retailers know who was worthy of extending credit to. That was how the organization started back in 1902. But as you mentioned, our, our economy has certainly changed as North Carolina has urbanized and, and grown in size. And, and, but we are also very fortunate. We have so many great independent retailers, but we also have a number of companies that are headquartered here. And, and you talk about uh, the economy you know, those companies are also recruiting software engineers and accountants and marketing professionals and attorneys. And, and we try to make sure that the youth also understand that there's a great pathway in North Carolina in retail, whether you're working at a headquarters like Harris Teeter or Food Line or Lowe's or Variety Wholesale, I mean, and on and on and on. Uh, Ingalls, Lowe's Foods, you name it. We have such a great, vibrant retail economy here. Uh, again, both in our small towns with our independents and then spread, you know, spread around with a, with a number of great chain retailers as well. You, you said, uh, I think, a couple of times during the program already that we advanced a great deal in just one year. What were some of the things that we learned that were uh, probably going to be a part of retailing in North Carolina from now on? That well, I, I think you will see... Re- Retailers learned how to use social media in some regards, whether that was Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, better than they ever had. They learned how to reach out through things like yourself with radio and touch their consumer and find out how to reach their loyal consumer. I, I talk about two women's boutiques who were members of ours who started these you know, twice a week for 30 minutes Facebook Live where they would show you the different goods and then you could come by and pick them up you know, a curbside. Uh, we have a great member of ours, a bookstore in Wake Forest, page 158 books, who had never delivered books and started delivering them to people's houses and shipping them to other states, uh, working really hard to, again, keep the doors open and sell their way out of it. They realized that they couldn't sit back and do business as usual, that they had to go out and, and find new ways to reach those customers. I think you also saw people say, I've always carried this same set of inventory. And now I've got to branch out some. And that was the bookstore that started selling puzzles. That was the men's clothing store that I mentioned earlier that, that saw a big decrease who started carrying more casual clothes and Olakai sandals. And so they adapted probably more so than they ever have uh, to, again, try to try to reach their customers. Now, the uh, platform is a little bit more level now that the uh, online retailers that are uh, online sales organizations weren't charging sales tax in North Carolina, and that was giving them a, a, an unfair advantage. Now they have to charge sales tax, and that helps one even out the platform. But secondly, it provides additional money for state government. Absolutely correct, and and, and that was money that you know the retailer was at a seven and a half percent roughly disadvantage that they couldn't match because they were collect being the sales tax collector for the state of North Carolina. Um, and you mentioned again, what do we see you know, changing in the future? I think you see more retailers, independents that maybe had stayed away from, from e-commerce realizing they've got to be what they call omnisource. They've got to have their own online presence and be physical as well. Um, but I think the retailers, the other thing they had to do 
was they had to figure out, again, how to communicate better with their customer. And what they were communicating was, and you mentioned this earlier, was that when you come into my store, it is going to be a safe place for you to shop. We're going to have the dressing rooms clean. If something gets tried on in a clothing store, we're going to put that aside for 24 hours. We're going to deep clean these areas. We're going to provide hand sanitizers. We're going to do everything we can to make our our store an inviting place for you to be because we need you to feel comfortable leaving your house and coming to our store. And I think that will change some, but I think you'll see retailers do continue to do such a great job of getting those customers back into their stores. Customers want to be back. When you see people now out and about, they're more, they're into this social piece a little bit now and they want to touch things again and they want to go into a physical store. They want to go out to eat if they can. And, uh, you know, so I think we're, Hopefully we have crossed the bridge and we're heading you know, to a better place with, with, with where we're heading in our economy and getting people back into the downtowns and back into the shopping centers again. Now you gave me a statistic a few moments ago, I guess it was in the first segment when you talked about how many uh, of our employed citizens work in retailing, but almost everywhere I go, I see signs now hiring. Uh, are retailers having difficulty uh, locating sufficient number of staff members? We are having a tremendous difficulty in hiring staff members. And I think that is, there's a couple different reasons for that. One, um, you know, the unemployment benefits that were provided were from the federal government were very generous and, and people, uh, and then they got a $1,400 stimulus check, which helped the economy and, and it helped people that were unemployed. But we have some people because of that who have not re- decided not to return back to work yet. Uh, I think you also, have seen that, uh, for instance, a lot of retailers are the first job for a, a teenager. And a lot of parents decided to hold their kids out of working in a grocery store bagging groceries or working at a women's boutique or whatever it was for a couple of reasons. One, they were worried about their child's safety and being exposed and being out in the world with people. I think there was also, to be honest, a, a great fear of those children or those employees not wanting to subject themselves to enforcing mask mandates. And it was a very sensitive subject. And especially when you got outside of the metropolitan areas, uh, you know, they were required to make sure that the customer as they entered the store, that they wore their mask. And that created a lot of, uh, at times, confrontations. And I think, unfortunately, that has hurt us a little bit in getting our stores back fully staffed. But it's not just us. I was talking to somebody yesterday who was telling me that, you know, they were, they were they they were thousand jobs roughly open in some meat processing facilities down east, and they're paying fifteen dollars an hour, and they can't find employees. I talked to a, an appliance store here, and you know he had twelve people that talked to the manager about getting a job in the warehouse. Eleven of the twelve didn't show up to meet with the owner of the store the next day to t- about taking the job, and he said, "But you know, Mrs. Jones still wants her refrigerator or her appliance, but I don't have anybody in the in the." in the warehouse to push that out, which is going to hurt productivity long-term. Well, we hear a lot about uh, minimum wage, but the truth of the matter is the, the retailer uh, needs good employees. And uh, for, you know, there are not many people working in retailing that are paid bare minimum. No, no, there's not. And, and it tends to be, you know, the, the minimum wage was intended to be an entry-level wage. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, let me say this, the market has driven wages up even during the pandemic. And you saw retailers paying a lot more than the minimum wage. It was more all market based as well as 
uh, bonuses, you know, during the year, you saw a number of the grocery stores and a number of the other retailers pay bonuses during, during the COVID just for recognizing how great those workers were doing on the front line. I mean, they were they were heroes in our mind and, and frontline essential workers. Um, but but with where the labor market is right now, it, it is difficult I, you know, to get people, you know, under the twelve, fourteen dollar range. And I think you'll see that play out even with with teenagers and other college students that are trying to go back to work as we head into the summer. You mentioned uh, also earlier that there were a few things that we learned that probably didn't work out and uh, might not be a part of the future. Would you like to elaborate on some of those? Uh, I, I think some people realize that, um, that they couldn't go it alone without, without um, e-commerce, but I think also some people realize that delivering items to people's homes, for some retailers, depending on what the item is, doesn't make monetary sense. Um, and, and having to deal with returns and some of those things. I think if you're a large business, you know, that maybe you ship it back to them. But if you're the independent, sending that individual employee out to deliver things sometimes may be more difficult. Um, you know, the one thing I will say, too, is and we talk about all the things that we did. I will say re the retailers did a remarkable job during all the executive orders and local orders that of all the restrictions that were put on them, whether it was occupancies or mask mandates or other things, I always use the example that the General Assembly will pass a law, the governor will sign the law, and then the retailer of the business usually has 90 days, 180 days, a year to come in compliance. In this case, every week on a Tuesday, we were getting another set of requirements that had to be put in place by Friday at five o'clock whether that was social distancing, signage, marking on the floors, plexiglass, and they did a really good job at it. People thought it was going to go perfect, but if you think about everything that those businesses did, whether it was a retailer or a restaurant, and how well they did for a year of implementing that on the turn of a dime, it is amazing how well they did to keep their businesses open, and they had to do these things to keep their businesses open. But, uh, but they should be commended for that. All the business communities should. Did your membership hold up pretty well? It, it did hold up pretty well, um, you know, and I think part of that, too, was we had some some good help from the federal and the state government. You look at the Paycheck Protection Program that, you know, encouraged people and incentivized keep people to keep people on their payrolls and they could use some of it for, for rent. Uh, that was a really, you know, that really helped. That was a lifeline for people. Um, it also... You look at some of the state grants that were out there and some of the you know increased unemployment benefits, those things kept money moving through the economy. So our membership fared pretty well. Did we lose some people? Yes. Um, but some of the people, and, and more so on the national level, I think you saw Steinmart and Pier One and you know some other national chains that were teetering already on the brink of going out of business. The COVID piece was what pushed them over the edge. Um, but a number of the smaller retailers or the mid-sized retailers. I think those other programs help keep them in in business long enough to get to the other side. And again, with the numbers we've seen of late, we're hoping to see, you know, renewed renewed um, optimism going forward. Well, I suspect that a number of your members really appreciated the services and the assistance because where else would they get the advice that they needed to work through those very quick problems except through an association? Yes. At, at one point we were tracking, we had, we had, I think 
11 pages of spreadsheet of local and state orders that we were trying to navigate and help retailers with. And, and we were open source. We let it on our website. We made it available to anybody that wanted to go there, whether they were our member or not, because we thought it was good for, for businesses. And we wanted, we wanted to keep everybody in business and we wanted to keep them, them in compliance. It was, too, it was tough enough to run a business without being in COVID. You had COVID on top of it. So we provided a great deal of, of, of expertise to people. We did webinars. We had the, we, a number of conference calls with the governor you know, to, to relay our concerns. And so we were fortunate to do that. But we provided a very good avenue to try and help those businesses. Again, our goal was just to get them to the other side. Our guest is Andy Ellen. He is the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. And when we come back, we'll talk about legislation which affects retailers. The General Assembly is in session. And of course, the federal government is continuing to do its work as well with the new administration. And we'll talk about uh, prospective legislation that may affect retailing, not only here in North Carolina, but across the country. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmaker. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them, but I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right, they can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Andy Allen is our is our guest, and we're talking about retailing. And he, of course, is the person that we go to for that type of conversation because he's the president, as we said, of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association, representing some 25,000 uh, stores across the state of North Carolina. Uh, Andy, of course, every year, um, Legislation uh, is passed by the General Assembly and the federal government affects retailing, affects commerce in general. Last year, I guess, uh, was an unusual year, but uh, it, it's sort of more or less back to normal. So what are some of the legislative concerns that your organization has that could affect its members and the public? Well, thank you very much, Don, on that question. And it's interesting. I was saying earlier to Jason, the General Assembly is a different place right now just because you have people in different spectrums. And, and for somebody who works in that arena and has for the last 25 years, it's a little more difficult to navigate than it has been in the past. And we're screened every day as you enter just to make sure that you're not sick and, um, and, and dealing with legislators, some who are on one spectrum of very cautious and uh, 
versus some others who, 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 you know, take, believe they've already had COVID or vaccinated and, and have a little more lessening on the restriction side of it. But a couple of things we're working on. One big one that happened last week that was supposed to be a, it was a trigger that would have raised the unemployment tax on businesses from 1.9% to 2.4%. And the General Assembly uh, unanimously um, approved with bipartisan support and signature by the governor, uh, maintaining that unemployment tax rate for businesses at 1.9%. So it kept that increase from happening, which is worth you know millions and millions of dollars to businesses, especially small businesses that are, that are trying to hire people, which is very important. Um, today, today we, uh, we were working on, again, the, I mentioned the paycheck protection program, North Carolina, there's 47 States that have said that in the, the money that you got from the federal government is not counted as income and it's not, and that you can deduct expenses that you use that money from North Carolina is not one of those. The other three are California, other two are California and Hawaii. Uh, the house today passed, uh, house bill 334, which would allow, uh, businesses and there's 127,000 businesses in North Carolina that took the PPP loan from the federal government with an average of 10 employees would allow them to deduct expenses uh, as well on their taxes and that's time sensitive because of, of people getting ready to file their 2020 tax return but that is a you know that passed again today I think there were two no votes in the house uh, and we there was a press conference with bipartisan support the speaker of the house and the house minority leader. Uh, Speaker Tim Moore and, and, and Minority Leader Robert Reeves both participated in that press conference and support that bill. And we're working with a large coalition of folks on that one as well. Um, it always seemed that that was going to be counterproductive if they counted that as income. All of a sudden, uh, it, it wasn't a good deal for anybody. No. And, 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 you know, if you think about it, those businesses kept those employees on their payrolls, or in a lot of cases, kept their benefits and kept them off the unemployment rolls. And that kept money rolling through the economy. And when they were for those businesses that closed, when they reopened, they didn't have to try to go back out and find new employees. And, you know, they had trained employees already. And, and so that was a really key component. It was a lifeline. So many businesses talk about without that, they would have never made it through. And so it's really we're hoping that the Senate will take that legislation up and pass that as well. Other legislation that uh, may affect retailers. Well, we've been working on a lot of things. We, I, we represent a lot of pharmacies, and we, you know, they've done an amazing job too. And I use that term a lot. But uh, with the COVID vaccine and administering the COVID vaccine, you know, it's been shown that the pharmacy and, and your and your you know your primary healthcare providers, like physicians, are probably your best two places. That's where everybody goes to get their vaccines, uh, whether it be flu or shingles or those types of things trying to get more of the vaccine into those pharmacies and into those physicians offices so that they can administer it. So we worked on some legislation first to allow them to do that and align it with the federal law. Uh, there was legislation earlier this year that passed to allow that to happen. And, and pharmacies are putting those at, putting shots in people's arms as fast as they can, because we've got to get people vaccinated in order to get back to normal. So that is really important uh, as well. Um, and then things like, you know, things that sometimes go unlooked uh, or, or unnoticed. There's a bill right now, for instance, for as many people know, on-premise permittees of alcohol, like restaurants and bars and bottle shops, many of them weren't able to fully use their permits. And so generally, uh, let's say a restaurant, their average ABC permit is probably $1,400 to $1,800 a year. And they basically weren't able to use those permits last year. There's a House Bill, House Bill 73 
that would uh, would waive those those fees for an they waived them from last year would waive them again for another year to try to give those businesses that couldn't use these fee, these permits and give them some some break on that. So um, you know that's a that's a key component. We're working on some things. Um, we have a bill called Bring People Back Downtown that that's, we think is getting ready to be filed that would allow a city to to designate sort of a social district to allow people to go where the city had designated and, and leave out of a restaurant or a bottle shop or a wine shop and walk out into a street or into another business with a beverage, an alcoholic beverage. that has been very done very successfully in Kentucky and Ohio and Michigan. Because what happens is if you have a street festival, the businesses that are on that street can't do that, but they can bring in a remote vendor that can sell you a glass of wine, meet in the street in Raleigh to walk around, but the business that's there 365 days a year cannot. So we're trying to level the playing field a little bit on that. Um, but those are a couple of things we've been working on this session. As uh, I think we're getting very close, I believe the number is 40% of the adults are uh, being vaccinated with, with both, both shots, or in some cases the J&J &J shot. Um, can you tell a difference week by week as more and more people get vaccinated? Is there a, uh, a certain indication that these people feel more comfortable about shopping? I think there is. And, I, and, you know, I see people with, with masks on and, and people are continuing to wear masks as they should. And, and they'll say, I have this on, but I've already been vaccinated. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I will tell you on my trip and I live in the town of Wake Forest and on my trip downtown to downtown Raleigh four or five days a week. I see the traffic picking up both in the morning and in the afternoon. Traffic and, is traffic is definitely picking up. <laughs> right. And, and, and I go, you know, out into on Fayetteville Street and there's people here you know, that are now at some of the outside seating restaurants and inside seating restaurants or at some of the shopping centers. And I see people now out and about. So I think people are having renewed optimism. And I think the vaccine, my, you know, my wife is one that as she's getting, you know, the second dose is, is I think, going to be more amenable to being out in public. And, and I think that's a that's a good thing because it's, it's better. We got to get people from behind the computer screen and from, you know, back out talking to people, communicating with each other. I'm amazed. Uh, I'm going to change the subject on you here. I'm amazed at the number of uh, checkouts now that allow self-checkouts. In other words, you do your own checkout. And uh, uh, how's that working out? Because that, that puts a lot of trust on the customer. It, it does. But, you know, generally on the self-checkout, there's usually an a employer there to, to assist you with that. Um, I think space-wise, it helps, um, you know, being in a grocery store, if you can put four kiosks and the people have four items apiece, they're able to get in and out. And uh, the other thing it does is, that, you know, we, we are now conditioned a, a little bit to give people six feet, you know, at the checkout line. And if you think about a grocery store, if I've got four items and there's four of us with four items, we're taking up 24 feet back into the, back into the aisle. If I can push you, you know, help you get through this self-checkout, I can get you in and out of the store. And you mentioned earlier, and I'll, I will say this about the decals on the floor. There was this misnomer that one way aisles would help, you know, keep people safe. What we found from some research was it kept people in the store probably 14 minutes longer because people went the wrong way or they ducked into the aisle the wrong way and they got in a confrontation. But people stayed in the aisle, stayed in the store much longer. And I think the self checkout is a way, uh, as well as, pick your, your, deliver, your goods up at the curb, whether they're groceries or get them delivered, that is changing that dynamic of how we shop. Well, shoplifting and shrinkage has always been a major cost to a retailer. 
Uh, and uh, of course, the the uh, honest customer is the one who ends up paying for it uh, indirectly. And uh, are retailers finding more and better ways to control shrinkage and shoplifting? They're, they're finding better ways. Unfortunately, the criminals are getting better and better at it every day. And, and we're not talking about the, the kid that steals a pair of sunglasses or a pack of gum. Uh, unfortunately, there is what, what we call organized retail crime. And it is, it's, it's basically gangs of people that go in with a shopping list of what to steal. And they're stealing high, high dollar items, things like razor blades, batteries, pregnancy test kits, Tide Pods. Um, those batteries, those items, uh, and then they're putting them generally a lot of times online for sale at Nextdoor uh, or on eBay or on you know other platforms that they're selling these items to people. Uh, which I will tell people if you see those items and they're remarkable, that the, the, the person selling them has a has 50 boxes of Tide Pods and they're selling them for 50 cents on the dollar. Be, be, be wary of it. Or if they're selling infant formula, which is another very highly stolen item because it's so expensive and they're, they've got, you know, 150 cans of Infamil and they're selling it at $10 instead of $20 and only sells for, be careful because it may not have been stored properly and could be dangerous to your, to the, your child that you're giving it to. So all those items that you sometimes see, it, we went sometimes from a flea market or a pawn shop or other places where things were stolen and sold now it is migrated online, especially during COVID. It's much easier to do that. Are you breaking the law if you buy merchandise from someone that you uh, suspect it's stolen? It, you're not if you suspect. If you have knowledge that it's stolen, then yes, you have you have knowledgeably purchased stolen a stolen goods. So, uh, but if you suspecting it is not necessarily the case. Are, are, are customers catching on to turning in people when they see shoplifting? Because, I mean, I think for a long time, they so, sort of felt like, well, you know, that person's stealing. I'm not going to do it, but it's okay. But as a matter of fact, it's, it's, uh, it's penalizing the customers paying. I think the customers are, and retailers, you know, maintain people that they call loss prevention officers that you may not recognize walking around the store, but they're walking around watching customers as well. Uh, as well as very good security cameras and that sort of thing. Um, and, and law enforcement has really understood that this is a, is a dangerous thing because what has happened is these organized retail crime groups are funding uh, illicit activities, whether it be human trafficking, whether it be opioids, whether it be other things, that's what they're funding. And so there's been a renewed emphasis on it. Charlotte, for instance, has an organized retail crime task force inside their police department. And Raleigh and some others, some other cities do as well. Again, it's not just the kids stealing a pair of sunglasses. It's, it's people stealing major items with high technology. Uh, and it's the, sort of the crime of the, of, of, the, of the 2020s. And on top of everything else, the state doesn't get sales tax on stolen merchandise. No, not at all. And, and again, as you mentioned, we all end up paying for that. Uh, that's that's what that all gets built into the price of goods. But when you go to the drugstore and there's a, you know, you can only take one razor out at a time, or there, you know, the reason that's the case is because people were stealing those. Yeah. You know, we're trying to do something to protect the consumer and and the the business from that. Well, of course, shop and of course, internal shoplifting or internal shrinkage is also a problem. But that's a that's an internal problem, and that's a different matter and a different way of controlling that. I suspect. Absolutely. So basically, do you think uh, uh, this is this a growing concern or is it uh, under control? Uh, it's been a growing concern. Again, I think part of it is the criminals are usually a little bit ahead of 
both the law as it's written and, and sometimes the retailers. And, and they've unfortunately gotten more brazen and more organized. And again, they'll run up and down I-95 or I-85 and, um, and they have very, they're very organized. And again, they know what they're, what they're going to the store to steal and with a shopping list, it's not random. Um, and so, and they've got more avenues to sell those products once they steal them. I had uh, someone come up to me in a grocery store last week and indicate that he needed help. And would I mind putting a few items in his, in, his, in my basket for me to pay for? Now, I, you know, I'm not sure whether that person was, uh, was organized and doing it as a profit motor or really needed the help. I, you know, it, it, was, it was hard to tell. But I guess that may be another way that people are finding out how to get merchandise out of stores. Absolutely. They, they are, like I said, they're very, uh, very creative on those things. Well, I guess is Andy Allen. He's the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. We have one final segment coming up. We want to talk about tariffs and trade wars and international competition, workmen's compensation, a few other issues. And we'll do that in the next segment. Carolina Newsmakers, you stay tuned. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Andy Allen, the president, who is the president of the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association. A reminder that a number of you listen to this program on stations that carry a 30-minute version or two segments of the program. And uh, for those of you who are listening to those stations, there are two additional segments that you might like to listen to. And you can do that by going online to carolinanewsmakers.com and pick up those two segments. Or if you'd like to share the entire broadcast with a friend, you can do that as well. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. As I said, Andy Allen is our guest. And Andy, uh, there were a number of uh, trade agreements made during the Trump administration. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, trade conversation, especially between the United States and China, uh, on trying to get a flat playing ground. What's going on internationally that affects retailing and therefore affects the consumers of North Carolina? Well, I think you mentioned a minute ago, Don, the, the trade wars and the tariffs. And 
you know, we had we had, for instance, early on in the, in the Trump administration, the the border adjustment tax that we were very much against. That you know would have put a tremendous tax on on goods being brought into the country, and and we, we're in a global society, and we've got to trade internationally. And uh, you know, I think you see sort of a, a I call it a tit for tat, you know, sort of tariffs that you see throughout the world, and you know, you look at uh, the tax on bourbon, the tariffs being put on by you know Europe and other countries on bourbon and uh, Harley Davidson motorcycles with the bourbon obviously being aimed at Mitch McConnell in uh, his area, you know, to try to put pressure there. Um, you know, I think you're seeing a little bit of a pullback from the Biden administration on that while trying to maintain a strong, a strong, uh, you know, force that we've got to have level playing fields there with, with, with China. And I think there's so many issues revolving around inter, inter, in, uh, intellectual property concerning China as well and, and counterfeit goods. But I think you know the other issue you've got is is we are having big issues on supply chain. Uh, you know we've heard everything from you know the, the semiconductor chips in China that people can't get into the computers and the car manufacturers certainly can't get those to build cars, which is causing supply chain issues with cars. But I talk to retailers all the time, and if you think about you know going out today trying to buy a refrigerator or a, a washer dryer. Uh, we don't have as many in stock as we normally do because they're they're tougher to get just because of supply chain. Um, then you throw in the you know the, the large ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal and everybody that was backed up behind it carrying carrying goods to the, this country. And um, you know I've talked whether it be hiking boots was the one I heard this week or um, certainly you can't find ammunition anywhere if you if you are a hunter. Um, you know, there's different things that we're having supply chain issues and, and we'll continue to do. And not all that applies to tariffs, but I think that we, we're seeing some of those issues come into play that we may have seen coming down the pipe close to eight months ago. And they're finally here. As you look ahead, what are you looking for in the second, third and fourth quarters? How quickly will we rebound? Uh, certain industries like weddings that we talked about earlier, how, how quickly do you think those things will get back to what we might call normal? I, I think it's a couple fold. I think one, um, we have to look and see it, as long as we continue to vaccinate people the way we've been doing and trying to get, you know, quote unquote, to the herd, uh, herd immunity. Uh, that's important. We're watching sort of what's happening in Michigan, you know, right now, which has seen a tremendous spike in, in that state and the CDC encouraging the governor to shut things back down again. But I also measured against a place like California, which has been very, very restrictive and very shut down. And, you know, they just now opened up restaurants for in, inside dining versus a state like Florida or, or, or North Carolina or others that are in different stages. And I think, you know, North Carolina is well poised. We've had so many people, I will also say, move here um, because they are no longer they can work remotely. And they moved from Silicon Valley or they moved from the Northeast. I mean, I had somebody in my neighborhood who moved sight unseen from a house in Louisiana to, to Wake Forest, North Carolina. Um, but I think that's helping drive in the housing market. And as the housing market moves, a lot of the rest of the economy moves. Uh, you know, when you build a house, we then will sell, somebody sells you carpet and somebody, sell, our furniture store sell you furniture and we sell appliances and, and the like. So I think with the growth in North Carolina seeing the next three months are, are very bright as far as as our economy goes. I think we're, you know, everybody's worried somewhat about inflation and what does it do to goods. And we mentioned earlier trying to get workforce and you know are you having to pay a lot more for workers because that's going to end up getting built into the price of of goods to, to people. Um, 
but I think you've also got to, we've got to transition back from the restaurants who unfortunately a lot of them had to go to, you know, curbside pickup or delivery. And, you know, they want to get people back inside their restaurants and people employed and, um, and people back out doing things. And, and, and there's a comfort level too. I think as people sort of step in, stair step or glide into those items, uh, maybe you ate outside and then now maybe you're willing to go inside and eat, hopefully because you got vaccinated and, and now you're ready to take the next step. You know, um, I think people will continue to flock to our coast, which is great for the Outer Banks and the Wilmington area and to the mountains because they've got space and that's a, a good thing. Um, although they're going to have really big challenges labor-wise. You know, we have a lot usually of people from overseas that come in and work these tourist areas and work at the restaurants and the hotels and the retailers who come in from uh, European countries and others, and they're probably not coming because of COVID. And so how do those, how do those areas make up for the loss in work and work um, workforce? And the workforce issue, I think, is, is a really challenging one going forward in the next few weeks in the next few quarters. Um, and then lastly, you know, is our education, are our schools back open? Is a big, as we head into the fall, because if you think about uh, town, the college towns in Chapel Hill, how bad they got hurt when there's no college football season and the businesses that are built up around that. Uh, I went to the Elon College when there's no, you know, nothing going on in the town and the, the kids aren't there potentially like it was last fall sometimes at Chapel Hill and other schools, and there's no activities, there's no sports, there's no graduation. It takes money out of the economy. And, and those are things that we've got to get those things back open to help us get, you know, to fully get back to where we need to be. One of the, I guess, almost a holiday, uh, of course, Thanksgiving is a holiday, but almost a holiday for years has been Black, Black Friday. People uh, just took that as a special occasion. Have we seen the last Black Friday? I think we have probably seen the last Black Friday. Um, I think that, you know, Christmas had moved earlier and earlier as it was, and there was early Black Friday specials and everything else. I think you may have seen a change in that you may see re more retailers closed on that Thanksgiving day that may have opened later because now they've got an online channel that they're competing. A lot of them were opening because they didn't want to lose sales to online. Now they, they themselves have an online component. So I think you'll see, you know, that go away. And as we, as we elongate it out, people won't get up at four o'clock in the morning to go stand in line to buy the TV anymore and wrap around the building. They'll, they'll do it, you know, in a measured way earlier in the year, because I think retailers may not drop the price as much. They'll just spread it out and spread out the time period when that's offered. So, um, that holiday may be one of the holidays that we're about to see the end of. Well, I, of course, I came up and uh, I'm, I'm old as dirt, and I came up at a time where Christmas Eve was almost the Black Friday of the 50s and 60s because people shopped right up to 9.30 on Christmas Eve, and that uh, sort of changed uh, as people wanted to get rid of their Christmas shopping earlier and earlier. And So shopping on Christmas Eve got to be a point where it really wasn't all that much. Well, my wife would say if you were doing it, then you probably hadn't thought much about it. So, <laughs> well, I think I may have been guilty of that a couple of times too. <laughs> Me you as well. Always, you can always tell the panic look on someone's face on Christmas Eve that you know that they have uh, too many things left on their item. Uh, you mentioned hiring. Uh, when do you think that uh, uh, the uh, job vacancies that exist, and there are a lot of them, will be filled? 
Um, I don't know that we're going to get back to full employment for some time. And, you know, there was a proposal that came out of the U.S. Senate yesterday that would pay people on unemployment 75 percent of their wages and mandate 26 weeks of unemployment, which if we go back into that, I don't know that we'll get back to full employment anytime soon. And But there but there are jobs available for some of these folks that uh, are taking advantage of that situation. Absolutely. And then I think, you know, you also have the scenario and I work in downtown Raleigh where there's a lot of tall skyscrapers around me. And if the law firms aren't coming back to the Wells Fargo building and the other BB&T building or the accounting firms, whoever it may be, you know, the coffee shop and the dry cleaner and the lunch place, they're not getting that business that they, when they built themselves 15, 20 years ago, that business is not coming back. The parking deck is very empty that used to be completely full that I park in, but we need to get those businesses back too. And, And I'm hoping Whereas I think we're going to see a change and you'll still see remote work and, you know, one or two days a week or some people more than that, that we start to bring people back to those office buildings because our downtowns need it. Not just here, but in the smaller towns built around a courthouse and built around, you know, the town square, the, the, the lunch spot that everybody went to in downtown by the courthouse in Carthage, people need that business needs to be, you know, needs that support. And, and until we get those things back open and people back in those businesses, that's not going to happen. Do you see a large exodus from the very large metropolitan areas like New York City coming to places like North Carolina because now they can re- work remotely? But secondly, uh, it, it, it's turned out it's a safer place to be. I think it's a safer place to be. I think the other thing is, and you look at what's going on in New York and some of the other places, you know, with their with their continuing to raise some of their income tax on, on individuals, I think you see more and more people, and same way in Connecticut, more and more people head this way. I think, you know, we heard from a lot of people that Moorhead City and Atlantic Beach and the Outer Banks back during the height of the COVID, you know, were full of license plates from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, because those people who were quarantined and completely locked down all left and came here. And a lot of them, like you and I and a lot of other North Carolinians, saw how great this state was and they never left or they're never going to leave or they're going to go back and sell where they were and come back as soon as they can. Well, of course, growth in North Carolina is uh, uh, appears to be on a continued track upward. And uh, uh, as long as uh, uh, the metropolitan areas can stand the growth, I think we're going to be fine. But we still have those those areas that need additional uh, work. And, and so the workplace opportunities now for remote locations uh, may be better than ever. And I have not given you much time to answer that question. Absolutely. And you're from small town like I am, you know, not a metropolitan area. We want people that grow up in Wilson and Laurenburg and Rocky Mount and, and Marion. You want them to feel if they go off to college that they can come back to where they were and help keep those communities going instead that they don't have to stay in Raleigh or Charlotte. And I'm hoping maybe some of the remoteness gives those kids the opportunity to go back home and keep their communities alive. And because our businesses, our retailers in those areas depend on them. And so we're hoping that 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 will happen. Andy, thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like more information about the North Carolina Retail Merchants Association, you can just Google that and get all the information. If you'd like to join, I'm sure that Andy or his staff will be delighted to give you information about uh, how to do that. 
Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us on this same group of stations all across North Carolina again next week at the same time on this very station. So the next week, hope you have a very nice week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.